Remember, when Jesus was on the earth, he healed a lame man of the palsy who was let down through a roof, which I'm glad that never happened to me, frankly, because I'm pretty scared of heights, and that would probably freak me out. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the first thing Jesus says to him is not rise and walk. It's your sins are forgiven you. So that was the point of the healing, was that this man needed his sins forgiven. And then the, the Pharisees, I love this too, because the Pharisees were just thinking. They weren't saying anything, but they were thinking. How can this man forgive sins? No one can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to the sick of the palsy, rise up and walk. And he didn't, nobody handed him crutches. He didn't wobble around for three days trying to get the feel of his new feet. No, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he got up and walked and he praised God. Well, today we are looking at the second half of Acts chapter 13, or actually, um, I don't know if it's the second half, but the last part of Acts chapter 13. Uh, we started a couple weeks ago when I was here, the, the first sermon of Paul's first missionary journey, um, this sermon at Antioch, and as we established before, um, this is a second Antioch from the one that he went with with missionary aid, financial aid. Um, but um, Paul is is beginning this first missionary journey. Remember, um, God said, "Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work unto which I have called them," and that is where we are. Paul is in the synagogue. And he's preaching Christ to them. Remember, he will say later in one of his epistles, I preach Christ and him crucified. And he says, if anyone preach another gospel than that which you have heard from us, meaning himself and the other followers of Jesus, let him be accursed. <clears throat> Paul never put his message above any of the other apostles. But he did say, I preach Christ and Christ crucified. And if anybody preaches a different message, let him be accursed. Now that is, those are powerful words. Those are words that anyone who opens the word of God to preach it to others needs to be aware of. Um, because it is a sacred trust in many ways to share the Word of God and to be entrusted with that opportunity and that responsibility. So, as we open today, uh, we are looking at, first of all, Paul is going to share that God keeps His promises. Now, to me, that's one of the biggest themes of the Bible, is that God is a promise-keeping God. 
He says, I will do this. Remember he told Abraham, every place where on your foot lands will be yours. Now, of course, Abraham did not see the ultimate um, possession of the land of Canaan in his lifetime. But then when Abraham's son Isaac came along, God repeated the promise. When Jacob came along, God repeated the promise. When Jacob went down into Egypt, God said, Fear not to go into Egypt. You will go down into Egypt. I will preserve you alive. You will be there for 400 years. And then I will lead you out. And it's interesting. One thing I noticed the last time I was reading in the first or in Exodus, it talks about how 430 years to the day, it actually uses that phrase, to the day that they went down into Egypt, God called them out. So God is a promise-keeping God. And that is something that, that Saul, who is now Paul, knows all too well. Because God met Paul on the road to Damascus and he changed his life forever. God, Paul would talk about later in the epistle to the Thessalonians, I believe, that God was faithful putting me in the ministry. He talks about how God laid hold of him and so now he wants to lay hold of that which God has for me because God laid hold on me. And incidentally, that's why my ministry is called Speaking for Him. The motto on my business card is Speaking for Him who spoke for me because there was a time in my past as a young boy where God said to me, not in a verbally audible voice, but in a voice to my spirit, I want to use you. Surrender to me. And because of that, I am able to travel and preach. And I hope that as we continue to come out of this pandemic, that I will have more opportunities to travel that have been stifled for a while. Because to me, there's no greater excitement that I have than when I get to come and preach the gospel. Alistair Begg said it this way. He said, if you can do anything else with your life, do that. Because preaching is a calling. But if you can't do anything else but preach, then you know you're called to preach. And I, I, I've thought very briefly about what I would do if I wasn't preaching anymore. And I just can't see myself doing anything other than preaching the Word of God. Yes, other things along with it, but preaching the Word of God is clearly something that God made me to do. And that is why I am here today. So let's look at um, Acts 13, uh, verses... 32 to 37, 
this first section as Paul talks to us about God being a God that keeps his promises. Acts 13, 32 to 37. And we declare unto you the glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And, and as concerning that, he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. So, uh, we look at this psalm, and if we look at it purely from the fact that David wrote it, we say, well, how can he see no corruption? Because he was human, just like you or I. And so we know by that that David was actually prophesying of someone greater, who at once was the creator of David, and also the son of David. That's pretty hard for the finite mind to grasp, but it's nonetheless true. Jesus was born in Bethlehem, which was the city of David. And one of his names in the scripture is Son of David. There is significance here, I think, because David is in the line of Christ. If you look at the genealogy of Christ in Matthew chapter 1, you see that it goes to David and beyond. And then, so, we have this title of the son of David. And we see here that Paul's purpose in preaching is to give you glad tidings. What's the glad tidings? How that the promise which was made by your fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, children, as the, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. So, God made this promise that, that there would be a Savior. He told this to Adam and Eve in the garden that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And so now Paul is saying that has been fulfilled, so these are glad tidings. Um, what did the angel say in Luke chapter 2? He said, good tidings of great joy which shall be to all people I bring to you. And then he said, I will not allow my Holy One to see corruption. Jesus was perfect. 
when he was crucified. He took our sin upon him. It was dealt with. And he rose again, perfect, and in a glorified body. He did not see corruption. But I want to look back at why David is important to this story. If we could look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 to 16. 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 to 16 if someone could read that for us and then if someone else could get Luke 24 5 to 8 Luke 24 5 to 8 but I want to start in 2 Samuel chapter 7 when the day and when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bones and I will establish his shall build his house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Thy house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Okay, so in this passage, God is telling David, remember when Saul displeased the Lord, God said through Samuel, the kingdom has been ripped from you as you have ripped my garment. Remember, Saul or Samuel turns away from Saul and Saul grabs the hem of his, his robe and rips it. And he says, just as you have ripped my garment, the kingdom has been ripped from you. And of course, when the kingdom was ripped from him, the Holy Spirit of God left him because in those days it was a very special revelation. And then Paul was troubled by an evil spirit. Why? Because he never made his relationship with God personal. Even when he goes to sacrifice and he had disobeyed God, he said, come worship the Lord your God with me. Because the people, to paraphrase, will be angry with me if we don't. He knows that God is Samuel's God, but he never embraces God as his God. And God is telling David, even though you are imperfect, I know that you are inclined to follow me, that you are a man after my own heart, something that he will be called in the, in the first couple chapters of Acts. That David was a man after my own heart who will do all my will. And because of this, God says to David, your kingdom will be established forever. Well, the only way that could happen is if someone who lives eternally takes the throne of David, and that is Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. Now if we can look at Luke chapter 24. 
verses 5 to 8, Luke 24, 5 to 8. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you, while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words. I, I always I like this, this passage. I know that the resurrection is talked about in all four Gospels. But I really like this passage because remember Jesus said at least three times, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be bound over to sinful men, I'm going to be crucified, and on the third day I will rise again. And when the, men, when the women meet the angels in the tomb, they say, why are you here? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not risen, just as he said. Remember, we're talking about a promise-keeping God. He has risen, just as he said. So you won't find him here. And then it says, they remembered his words. What a wonderful thing to contemplate the promises of Almighty God. And Paul, no doubt, in Arabia and through his time with the other apostles has been filled into all this. And so he shares it freely. Charles Spurgeon said, The best praying man is the man who is most believingly familiar with the promises of God. After all, prayer is nothing but taking God's promises to him and saying, Do as thou hast said. Prayer is the promise utilized. A prayer which is not based on a promise has no true foundation. And that is Charles Spurgeon from Encourage to Pray, Classic Sermons on Prayer. So as we continue on in this sermon, we go to the next section, which is Acts 13, 38-41. Paul says, Jesus is the only way. I think this is so important today because even in our Christian churches, we try to say, well, maybe Jesus plus this, or maybe Jesus with a dash of that. But Paul says, Jesus is the only way. Let's look at Acts chapter 13, verses 38 to 41. Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore lest that come upon you which is spoken of by the prophets. Behold you despisers and, despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. So here, Paul is continuing on his train of thought. He was talking about the promise-keeping God that we serve. And he says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. Remember, 
when Jesus was on the earth, he healed a lame man of the palsy who was let down through a roof, which I'm glad that never happened to me, frankly, because I'm pretty scared of heights, and that would probably freak me out. But it's interesting, isn't it, that the first thing Jesus says to him is not rise and walk. It's your sins are forgiven you. So that was the point of the healing, was that this man needed his sins forgiven. And then the, the Pharisees, I love this too, because the Pharisees were just thinking. They weren't saying anything, but they were thinking. How can this man forgive sins? No one can forgive sins but God alone. And Jesus says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I say to the sick of the palsy, rise up and walk. And he didn't, nobody handed him crutches. He didn't wobble around for three days trying to get the feel of his new feet. No, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he got up and walked and he praised God. And many of the people there praised God as well. And this is the God that we we are talking about. He's the only way to be forgiven. Remember, they said also we're Moses' disciples. So, G, so Paul is addressing this directly. He says, And by him all that believe are justified from all things. Remember, it's not a limited thing. It's from all sin." which you cannot be justified by the law of Moses. These religious leaders, they love the law of Moses. Or they say they love the law of Moses. And yet, the law of Moses could not give them justice. It could only show them that they needed justice. And then, Paul is essentially saying here in verse 40, Beware of the hardness of your hearts. And he talks about God working a work in your days, a work which you shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. What did Jesus say to the man that was in hell? When Lazarus was in Abram's bosom, he said, he said, well, if I don't want my brothers to suffer this torment, so send somebody to tell them the truth, to spare them from hell. And what does Jesus respond? He said, they will not believe even though someone raises from the dead. There were some people that were so hard-hearted, as we've discussed before, that they may have given intellectual assent to the resurrection of Christ. Like, we can't deny the resurrection. The guards obviously saw something happen. That we don't want to lose our popularity, so just lie and tell them that the disciples stole the body. I know I've said this before, but there would, be, there would have been no reason to pay those guards if it wasn't a lie. If it was the truth, there would been no reason to pay those guards. But you know what? I think what happened is the guards came and they said there was an earthquake 
there was a bright, there was something bright and shiny, and all of a sudden he was gone. Something happened in that grave. And they said, well, we can't let this get out. So they just, they just said lie and tell them that the disciples stole the body. And you know what? I don't know how long after this Matthew was written as a gospel, but he says in that verse, this is commonly reported to this day. So the implication seems to be that for years and years since this happened, it's been reported that the disciples stole the body. Makes me wonder if there are Jews in Israel today that believe that. And we're warned in Hebrews not to harden our hearts as the people in Israel. You know, we, we read in Exodus that God hardened Pharaoh's heart, but you know what? That comes after something else, right? Comes after the fact that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So we go so far, and then God gives us over to what we want. So Paul is saying, don't allow that to happen to you. So as we're talking about Jesus being the only way, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him he might become the righteous. Why can I become the righteousness of God? It's not because I do most things right. It's not because I only occasionally mess up. It's because he who knew no sin became sin on my behalf so that when God looks at me today, he sees the righteousness. He sees the righteousness of God because of what Jesus did. There's no other power on the whole earth that has the capability of doing that. Oswald Chambers said it this way. He said, I, a guilty sinner, can never work to get right with God. It is impossible. There is only one way which I can get right with God, and that is through the death of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. There's an old hymn that says, there's only one way, one way to heaven. There's only one way, that way is Jesus. In our third section today, we see the Gentiles accept Paul's message. I find it very interesting 
that Jesus said to the Phoenician woman, I'm come, but I'm come to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his, his first mission, was to come to the lost sheep of Israel. And yet, so many times in the scriptures, we see Gentile believers having more faith than their Jewish counterparts. It started in the Old Testament with Rahab. Rahab was not brought out of Jericho, as some may teach, because she lied. She was brought out of Jericho because the men who she hid said, if you put this scarlet scarlet cord in your window, everyone in your house will be saved. If you don't, we'll be innocent of your blood, but if you do, everyone in your household will be saved. And she put it there, and she, and she left it as a symbol of her belief in the God of Israel. Then we go a little further in history, and we see that the one who married Rahab, Salmon, he has a, a young boy whose name is Boaz. And Boaz is a wealthy, godly man who respects the law of God. He's leaving grain for the reapers. According to the law. And he comes upon another Gentile. Who has surrendered to the God of Israel. Who has taken refuge under his wings. And that is Ruth. And both of these women. Rahab and Ruth are in the line of Jesus. And I think as we, as we look at the racism that everyone is accused of today in the United States, we need to think about the fact that we were all created in the image of God. And these Gentiles were accepted into the Jewish community because of their faith in God. And it says here, In verses 42 to 44. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who was speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And the next Sabbath came, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. These people, Gentiles and Jews alike, were so on fire for the Lord and for the message that they had heard that almost the whole city came to hear the word of God. What's another story about that? John chapter 4 tells us about the Samaritan woman who meets Jesus at the well, another Gentile, by the way, Meets Jesus at the well. Here's his message of redemption. He says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, most people, if they knew everything I ever did, I would not feel comfortable around them. Okay? But this is the compassion of our Savior, that He knows everything I ever did, and yet He loves me. 
and he gave himself for me, not because of who I am, but despite who I am, and because of who he is. May we have such an excitement for the things of God that it draws other people to find out about it. And it says many of those Samaritans believed. They told the Samaritan woman later, we believe not because of what you said, but because we have heard his words for ourselves. My goal as a preacher is not to have you believe because I believe. My goal as a preacher is to have you hear the words of God and believe them for yourself because they are true. What did Peter say? Whither shall we go, Lord, for you alone have the words of eternal life. Christ alone has, has the words of eternal life. I can guarantee it. All right, looking quickly, um, can we look at Second Peter three seventeen to eighteen? Second Peter three seventeen to eighteen. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from the secure position grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forevermore. Amen. So, this message that Paul is giving to these Gentile proselytes and these Jews that are believing is the same that Peter gives here. Grow in the grace of our Lord. Notice, Paul doesn't break out a, a ten-point quiz to make sure they believe everything that he believes. And, and, I, and I think we, we can do better at this is encouraging people in the things of the Lord. They don't have to understand all the, the deep theological truths that we have come to. You know, I've been on a journey with Jesus for 37 years. So I, I can't expect necessarily someone that's been on the journey with Jesus for five years or five months to be in the place where I am with him. But if someone knows Jesus and loves Jesus with all their heart, then we have a fellowship and a bond that should not be broken. I say should not because we often let petty things divide us. But you know what? If there's someone in the body of Christ that you can't stand here on earth, it, it may distress you to find out that you're going to spend eternity with them in heaven. So getting along with them here on earth would be a good practice for that eternity. You know, I, I used to joke, half joke with my brothers, uh, because being physically disabled, I... I couldn't gain any physical advantage over them. And I, I, I would often tell them, by the time I'm able to beat you up, I won't want to. Because my sin will be permanently done away with and I'll be perfect. Because Paul told me in 1 Corinthians 15 that 
my mortal body will put on immortality. And even better, my corrupt body, my corrupt soul, will put on incorruption. Why? Because the incorrupt Jesus gave himself for me. Uh, Saving faith may thus be defined as a voluntary turning from all hope and grounds based on self-merit and assuming an attitude of expectancy toward God, trusting Him to do a perfect saving work based only on the merit of Christ. We should, to a certain extent, strive for holiness. Jesus said, be holy as I am holy. But we also need to make sure that our striving is not in our own flesh. We need to remember the truth of what Paul said in Philippians chapter 2. When he said, for it is God who worketh in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. He said if we need to abide in him. If we abide in him, then the, thing, the good things that we need to do will come out of us. What did he say? If you come unto me who are thirsty, then will we'll spring up in your belly springs of living water. And when springs of living water are abounding in your life, they can't be contained. I still remember uh, several years back when my cousin, who I hadn't had a lot of personal messages to, wrote me a private Facebook message and said, stop sending me all your Christian garbage. And I didn't even think I had sent her anything directly. So all I could think about was the fact that because I am a Christian and because Jesus matters so much to me, the things on my Facebook page reflect that. Because even though it's a social media page, I see it as a ministry And I see it as another, yet another opportunity to show the importance of Jesus in my life and in the world. And I believe that will happen. When we surrender to God, what did Jesus say? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if your heart is full of Jesus, Jesus will come out. The final couple verses here, the Jews are filled with envy. They should have been filled with joy. Because Paul just said, your Savior has come. But, yeah, let's look at verse, verses 45 to 47. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spoke against the things which were spake by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first be spoken to you, seeing ye put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life. Lo, we turn to the Gentiles. <clears throat> For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation to the ends of the earth. 
So Paul is sitting here saying, God called me to the Gentiles. I came to you because I love the Jews. He said, my prayer is for all of Israel to be saved. And yet they rejected him. And more importantly, rejected Jesus. And he says, from now on, we go to the Gentiles. Uh, let's look uh, really quickly at John eleven forty-five to 48. John eleven forty-five to 48. And many of the Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things of Jesus did believe in him. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things of Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many things. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. Notice in that passage, and we're going to go quickly through our final point after this, but notice in this passage that they never say Jesus is wrong. They never say we have to correct this false teaching because the people will, will go to hell if we, did, if we don't. They say, instead, if we don't stop this guy, we will lose our popularity. The Romans will take our place in our nation. They care more about their popularity than who Jesus said he was. Remember, John the Baptist had the opposite response. He said, He must increase, and I must decrease. If the Pharisees had had that response, they could have been saved from their sins. But instead, they didn't want to lose their place in the kingdom. Final section verses 48 to 52 and when the Gentiles heard this they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained unto eternal life believed and the word of God was published throughout all the region but the Jews stirred up the devout and honorable women and the chief men of the city and raised persecution about Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of the coast but they shook the dust off their feet against them and came unto Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Ghost. So we just had this great persecution rise up. Why? Because they were preaching the truth. The people that were persecuting them were against the truth. But then it says, they shook off the dust of their feet. Just like Jesus said to do in the Gospels. He said, if they receive your message, be glad. And stay with them, abide with them, but if they don't, shake off the dust and walk away. And that's what Paul did, and Barnabas did. And you would think that after that, they would be full of depression and sorrow, but no, what does it say? They were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. 
James said, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you endure diverse trials of many kinds. I don't know if James had written his letter yet when this was written, but I'm sure that's the kind of thought that was going through their mind. And also Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount said, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad if you are persecuted for my name's sake. My prayer for you is that you have accepted the Messiah, Jesus, who died for the Jew first, but also for the Greek. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it shall not return to us void, but that it will accomplish everything that you have set forth for it to do. We thank you for the boldness of Paul as he preached in the synagogue. We thank you that persecution didn't dissuade him. We thank you for the rejoicing of the Gentiles and the growth of the church despite or perhaps because of the persecution. We pray that we would be continue to be bold with the truth of Scripture and that we would be beacons of love and light in this hateful and dark culture in which we live. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.